Hey everybody, welcome to Teal Time. This is Jamie Frankenberry, sports editor at the Virginian Pilot and Daily Press. And of course, I'm joined by David Teal, columnist. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Good morning. Good morning. We got a lot to get to. It is a Thursday. Hopefully you're hearing this on Thursday or Friday this week. We got uh, some UVA uh, Virginia Tech football talk. We'll talk about the new guy in town over in Norfolk that we uh, met yesterday. Ricky Ronnie. Ricky Ronnie at ODU. Uh, maybe get into a big Sunday night NFL matchup with a lot of local My gracious, connections. it really does. Yeah, really interesting. So let's start with a game last week in Charlotte. Sure. Uh, Virginia versus Clemson. And I don't I don't think there were really any surprises. Uh, Clemson wins big, 62 to 17. Uh, UVA did have 387 total yards, the most Clemson has allowed. Yeah. Uh, but that's probably not much solace when you give up 62 points. No, it. To me, Jamie, the only thing I was somewhat surprised by the margin. Uh, I, I knew it could get sideways. You didn't know that Jordan Mack was going to be really limited and essentially out for the final three quarters because of a nagging ankle injury. He's Virginia's best inside linebacker. You take him out of that lineup, and the defense just at times was was helpless. Clemson racks up 619 yards. Trevor Lawrence throws for 304 and four touchdowns. T. Higgins, the, the game MVP, with I think it was nine catches for a buck eighty and a couple of touchdowns, and maybe the catch of the year. I don't know if you were watching the game. Yeah. I mean, he is horizontal except for one big toe tapping just inside that sideline. And we're watching it on replay in the press box. I'm like, dang. I mean, he's, he is 6'4", and great hands and great ball skills. Clemson was going to do that to pretty much, well, no, to any Coastal Division right. team. It was just a matter of degree. And as it turned out, that's the most lopsided ACC championship game ever, and it's the third most lopsided conference championship game in all the conferences. Yeah, I mean, Clemson, you know, if and by the way, if Clemson's the third best team in the country, then wow, how good are those other teams? <laughs> yes. Uh, but I can't imagine that there are uh, teams that are better than Clemson after watching them this season and then watching them play Virginia. Uh, but, you know, Clemson's going to be Clemson. I mean, they are, you know, they, they've got weapons all over the field. Defensively, we've talked about that defense where they just have, you know, they lost four or five guys to the NFL in the first round, and they still uh, just reload and, and come after you on defense. Yeah, and it's, and it's not just Trevor Lawrence throwing the ball. Travis Etienne, 14 carries, 114 yards, 8.1 yards a carry. And that's his seasonal average. Mm. He's the ACC's career leader in rushing touchdowns. It Watching them, that semifinal between Clemson and LSU is just – oh, excuse me, Clemson and Ohio State. Right. LSU's the one seed and Oklahoma's the four. But Clemson-Ohio State out in the desert in the Fiesta Bowl, I don't know that there's been a semifinal in the playoff era. This will be year six that we've looked forward to more than that. So it's the first semifinal, I believe I have this right, to match 13-0 and teams. Yeah, that's amazing that they're both 13-0 and they're 2-3 and three seeds. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think, um, you know, Virginia, 
uh, went into that game with a lot to sort of be proud of. You know, they're, they're next heading to the, the Orange Bowl. Uh, you know, that was their first game against Clemson since 2013, but they are going to get Clemson again next season. So it'll be interesting to see how that rematch goes. I don't know if it'll be that much different. Yeah, it, and, and your point about, about, or, or about it being the first meeting since 2013, that just goes to show how screwed up the ACC schedule rotation yeah. is. The fact that these teams haven't played in, in six seasons – but, hey, Virginia converted 10 of 18 on third down, by far the best of any Clemson opponent. Only North Carolina has scored more points against Clemson this year, and that was 20. Right. So, I mean, Virginia, Virginia wasn't going to win the game. We, we can all agree on that. But that first drive, when the Cavaliers go straight down the field, and then Bryce Perkins throws the pick in the end zone. And you thought, here was their chance yeah. to just generate some semblance of hope. And it just didn't happen. And then on the second series, after Clemson had scored, Virginia goes down and does score. But they weren't going to – they just weren't going to hang. Yeah, yeah, and um, so Virginia moves on to the Orange Bowl next, and, you know, it'll be interesting, you know, you talk about uh, how Virginia has done under Bronco Mendenhall, you know, they, 2017, they lost in the Military Bowl, 2018, last year they won the Belk Bowl, and this year, I mean, just the list of accomplishments is really impressive, their first Coastal Division title, uh, they snapped that losing streak against the Hokies, they're going to play in their first ever New Year's Six Bowl, which, by the way, is two days before New Year's. Yes. Uh, so figure that. You know, they're 9-4 and four and finished number 24 in the college football playoff rankings. So by any measure, it's been a great season for Virginia. Oh, absolutely. And it's interesting. And this is kind of following in precedent with the College Football Playoff Selection Committee. They don't tend to dock teams much for losing conference championship games. Mm -hmm. Apparently, even when you lose by 45, (laughs) because Virginia only fell one spot. The Cavaliers had been 23 the week previous and only fell to 24. And and that was not a critical distinction, but a very interesting one because Virginia was the second highest rated team or the highest rated Mm -hmm. ACC team other than Clemson, which was going to the playoff. Virginia's bid to the Orange Bowl was then automatic. Had the Cavaliers fallen out of the top 25, then the Orange Bowl would have had its choice between Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Wake Forest. Virginia, I think, excuse me, still would have been the choice. Mm -hmm. But the Orange Bowl would have had options at that point. Yeah, that would have been interesting to see. And I, I think you're right. I think Virginia would have been the choice. You could make a really good argument, especially even with that 62-17 loss. I mean, all of those teams were going to lose to Clemson. Um, and, uh, you know, Virginia was just coming off a big win over Tech. It would have been hard, no matter what kind of, you know, what, what the bowl uh, folks look at, uh, whether it's going to be how Tech travels or how Virginia travels, I think Virginia probably was going to get to the Orange Bowl yeah. either way. The, the one team that Virginia should send a thank you card to is Virginia Tech's bowl opponent, Mm -hmm. and that's Kentucky. Because Kentucky crushed Louisville in the regular season finale. 
to drop the Cardinals to seven and five. So they, because of the ACC's two-win rule, Virginia has nine, Louisville has seven. Louisville was not an option for the Orange Bowl. But had Louisville beaten Kentucky to finish eight and four, an eight and four that included a head-to-head victory over UVA, the Orange Bowl could have certainly made a case after Virginia lost to Clemson by 45 Mm -hmm. and saying, no, we're going to take Louisville. And that's if Virginia was not in. In the, the rankings. In the rankings, yeah, yes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so now let's uh, – so, you know, Virginia's next opponent is now Florida. Pretty good Florida team. They're 10-2 and two, uh, under Dan Mullen, who came up from – I think he's in his second season from Mississippi City State. State. Yep, that's exactly and, right. And, um, you know, those two losses were to LSU and Georgia in the right. SEC. Right. So, I mean – And LSU a, on the road, yeah. and then Georgia's the, the annual neutral site game in, in Jacksonville. Yeah, so, you know, you, you come off a game against Clemson, and now you're looking at Florida. I mean, what do you think Virginia is looking at against Florida? Well, Florida is, is number six in the AP poll, I believe. The Gators are number nine in the CFP. Regardless, they are the highest-ranked team Virginia has ever faced in a bowl. Previously, the, the highest was number 10, Tennessee, in the 1990, well, it was January 1st, 1991, Sugar Bowl after that year in in 90 when they rose to number one in the polls. And Florida's forte this season is defense. They're among the top ten in in scoring defense. Their coordinator is a Hokie, Ty Grantham. Their cornerbacks coach is a Hokie in Torian Gray. So there's some Virginia Tech flavor there on, on the defensive side. Kyle Trask. Has, has done a nice job filling in a quarterback. So the, the Gators, you know, they, they, they beat Auburn. They're on a three-game winning streak since the Georgia loss. And you never know what teams' motivations will be like come bowl season because there's such a lag between the regular season and the bowls. And our team's just kind of, oh, we didn't get to where we wanted to go, this and that. Some teams just don't show up for bowls. I think both of these teams are going to be totally amped. Mm-hmm. I, for Virginia, it's a chance to get 10 wins for only the second time in program history. Another opportunity to be on the national stage and face a nationally ranked opponent and to prove its mettle. And for Florida... You know, for the last month, they've known we're not going into the SEC championship game. We've lost to Georgia. They're going. So their playoff aspirations were dashed. But they closed strong. I mean, they boat raced Florida State in the regular season finale. They're going to be playing right down there in their home state. I think the stadium's going to be full of Gators. I think it's going to be a great atmosphere. And I expect both teams to, to really be motivated. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's a December 30th, 8 p.m. on ESPN. And, you know, as great as it was to play in the ACC championship, I mean, this is a bigger stage, a huge stage. Virginia's maybe their biggest stage ever, since, it's definitely since the uh, Sugar Bowl. Yeah. Um, and this is a chance for them to sort of, you know, make a statement on, uh, on a big stage. A- absolutely. You know, the, I, I was reading, I don't have the exact number, but the, the ratings for the ACC championship game were the lowest in seven years, and that was back when the game was on cable and not, not on ABC. So, I mean, they, they had a, 
you know, it just wasn't a competitive game, and folks naturally gravitated to the Big Ten championship game where Wisconsin was given Ohio State fits. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree. I think this will be a bigger stage down in South Beach. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, moving on now to Virginia Tech. Uh, you know, after that loss to, the, to uh, the Cavaliers in Charlottesville, the Hokies are headed to the Belk Bowl in Charlotte. Uh, first time in a couple of seasons they've been there. And they're going to play the team we spoke about a few minutes ago, and that's Kentucky. You know, the Hokies, as dismal as things looked early this season, I think they got to be pretty happy to be in their 27th consecutive bowl appearance after that start anyway. I don't think a Belk Bowl is exactly where you want to no. uh, your goal to end up. But after that start, I think uh, they should be pretty uh, happy to get there. Yeah, after the loss to Duke, 8-4 and four was probably the ceiling mm. for, for, for this bunch. They, you know, they were sitting there at 0-2 in, in the league, and you, you wondered if they could get to the 7-win benchmark for bowl eligibility, which they needed this year because of the two FCS opponents. Mm. So I think the Hokies will come in, again, motivated, Three years ago in Justin Fuente's first season, 2016, they, they went to the Belk Bowl, had that epic comeback against Arkansas. They're down 24-love at halftime. And then Gerard Evans in the offense scored 35 unanswered in the second half. Bud Foster's defense pitches a shutout, turns Arkansas over several times. And that was perhaps the most memorable game of the Fuente era to date. That in the ACC championship game that year when they almost beat eventual national champion Clemson. Took them to the wire there in the fourth quarter. And what's the one thing that has traditionally given a Bud Foster defense fits? A mobile quarterback. Yeah, yeah. And guys, if you think Virginia's offense revolves around Bryce Perkins, which it clearly does. Wait till you get a load of Kentucky and Lynn Bowden Jr., who, by the way, has already announced that he's you know he's already declared for the NFL draft, but he's not sitting out the bowl. Yeah, that's the first thing I thought when I saw that yes, announcement. Was right? like, oh well, is he not going to play? But no, he says he will play. No, he absolutely. And it was a really cool video announcement that he put out about it. it was I don't know who did his production, but it was quite well done and quite heartfelt, and he did a great job narrating it, and he made clear that he intends to be there under center. He's, he's a converted wideout. Right. He's listed as a wide receiver. He runs the ball like crazy, and he lines up at quarterback. Yeah, and, and only playing because the starter and the backup got hurt during the year, and I was, I was reading some, some of the Kentucky press coverage, and apparently he texted Mark Stoops, the the Wildcats head coach, after the backup went down and just said, Coach, if you need me, dot, dot, dot. Because he had played quarterback in in high school up in Youngstown, Ohio. And since he's 5-2 as a starter, and we we mentioned Travis Etienne earlier, Etienne leads the country in yards per carry at 8.2 and change. I think it's 8.24. Number two is Lynn Bowden at 8.18. I mean, this cat, he went for like 260 against Louisville. 
Yeah, he has uh, 1,200, more than 1,200 yards rushing this season. And they l- l- rushing average for Kentucky, 274 yards a game. You don't see that a oh, whole lot. Not from a non-option team, right? Yeah, unless you're talking about Navy or somebody like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so he really makes them go. I mean, Kentucky was 7-5. and five. Uh, They were 3-5 and five in the SEC under Mark Stoops. And they do have a win against Louisville, and that was a, you know, they blew Louisville off the field. Yeah, I was, man, I was surprised by that by that result and certainly by that margin. And I think Kentucky is, is going to be as motivated as, as the Hokies. I think both games, I'm, I'm looking forward to them both. Some bowls you just think, uh-huh. but I, I think these two are really good. Bud Foster's final game. Mm-hmm as defensive coordinator of Virginia Tech, is going to be a headache. Yeah. I mean, he, that, that Bowden kid is going to make it that way. And, you know, Bryce Perkins, at least for a quarter in Charlottesville, ran them ragged. Mm-hmm. And they tightened it up afterward. Well, they're going to be they're going to have to be tight for all four quarters Absolutely. against Bowden. Yeah, well, you mentioned that this will be Bud Foster's final game as Virginia Tech's uh, defensive coordinator. So our colleague Norm Wood this week reported on a couple of coaching changes on that oh, Virginia gosh, Tech staff. Man. And yeah, it was real. There were quite a few changes. Uh, defense, longtime defensive line coach Charlie Wiles, who's been there forever, more than two decades. 24 years. Yeah. Um, he's out. Uh, running backs coach Zon Burden, who has a local connection. He played wide receiver at Salem High School under mm-hmm. Chris Beatty out in Virginia Beach, was an assistant at ODU. So yeah. he's been let go, and then cornerbacks coach Brian Mitchell also was let go. So what what does this signal to you from Justin Fuente? Well, and, and I and I think the the other big news there is Justin Hamilton's promotion right. to re- replace Bud Foster as defensive coordinator. I mean, and, and no offense intended here, but Hamilton's a pop. Mm, young guy, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's just been full time on the staff. Thirty seven years old. Yeah, th- yeah. Th- this one year he's and. No surprise here. He's the lowest paid dude on the staff at like two hundred thousand. He's gonna be getting a pretty good pay raise here. Yes. We we haven't seen the the, the term sheet yet, but he he's a tech alum, mm-hmm. played for Bud, coached under Bud, Bud endorsed him for for the job, and what I think will be interesting, Jamie, and I'll be very surprised if it doesn't turn out this way. That now that they have that find a linebackers coach to replace Foster. They have to find a cornerbacks coach to replace Brian Mitchell. So, and a safeties coach to replace Hamilton mm-hmm. because he's he's moving over to, to, to be D.C. So how is that going to work? I think you will see Justin Fuente, at least with one, maybe multiple of those hires, find someone who is really seasoned and who can kind of serve as a sounding board for Justin Hamilton as he, you know, kind of dips his toes in, in the coordinator waters and, and just someone maybe who's even been a coordinator. I, I, I think that's what we are likely to see. I think overall, you know, after an eight and four regular season, you wouldn't think, wow, you know, they need to nuke the staff. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe nuke is probably too strong a, a word. But at Virginia Tech, recruiting is very position specific. J- 
Justin Fuente expects his defensive line coach to recruit defensive linemen. It's not like you just go out and you work Northern Virginia or you work the 7-5-7. No. He expects his running backs coach to recruit running backs and identify them and, and, and get them on campus. And some of the positions where Virginia Tech has really fallen behind in recruiting are running back, defensive line, and cornerback. And those are the three positions that he cut loose. Mm. I don't think that's a coincidence. No, no, I don't think so either. Uh, and Normwood did also uh, report yesterday that uh, Adam Lechtenberg was yes. going to be promoted to running backs coach. So they right. did fill uh, one of those positions. Yeah, that was, he was he, he was he was a full time. He was among the ten full time assistants, but he didn't have a dedicated position. He was kind of this. I think they termed him analyst or a player personnel guy. But yet he was still among the the, the ten full time staffers. Well, now he has. A, a dedicated position with the running backs. How they'll replace him, I'm not real clear on. Will they hire another analyst, or might they split the, the defensive line into tackles and ends? There are many ways to do it. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, uh, Virginia Tech is going to play in the Belk Bowl. That's in Charlotte against Kentucky the day after Virginia plays in the Orange Bowl. Yeah, New Year's Eve. And it's a noon start, which is very favorable for our newspaper uh, deadlines. Yeah, especially on, on New Year's Eve because Absolutely. I'm guessing we'll have early deadlines. We should, yeah. Yeah, real quick before we move on to ODU's new coach, I wanted to get your take on some ACC bowl matchups. Sure. I thought really interesting that you mentioned this year. I didn't realize this, but the ACC is 0-12 against teams in the latest top 25, and that just blows my mind. That it's, not, it's not a good look. They, they were that bad. Well, and, and think of this, Jamie. While ranked in the college football playoff top 25, Virginia – is not ranked in the AP Top 25. If Virginia does not beat Florida in the Orange Bowl, it is quite likely that the ACC will end the season with only, only Clemson in the Top 25. The last time only one ACC team was in the final Top 25, 1988. Wow when the league had eight teams mm. and not 14. Yeah, that that is crazy. Yeah, I mean, they were 0-12. Uh, you know, obviously you got Clemson. They're going to play in the Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State mm -hmm. in a uh, playoff semifinal. Uh, Boston College plays number 23 Cincinnati in the Birmingham Bowl, but that's the oh, – besides Virginia's matchup against number six Florida, that's the only uh, ranked team that yes. ACC is going to play. Exactly. And, and then and then if Clemson were to beat Ohio State, obviously the, the Tigers would get a crack at either uh, LSU or Oklahoma in the national championship game. And, and just but before we get away from, you know, the big college football and, and the playoffs and such, number one, and, and, hey, LSU earned it, and it's just all because of and all these venues are predetermined. But how convenient for the Bayou Bengals to get a semifinal in Atlanta mm. and a possible national championship game where? New Orleans. Yeah. I mean, beating LSU in New Orleans in a national championship game 
would be a chore. And then look at the four quarterbacks in the college football playoff. Number one, three of them are transfers. Mm -hmm. Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields. Trevor Lawrence is the only homegrown. Mm-hmm. And he's a sophomore. Yeah, a moment. He's not transferring. He's no, going to play one anywhere. more year at Clemson, <laughs> and then going he's going anywhere. to the NFL. But I totaled up the numbers last night. Between the four of them, 154 touchdown passes and 22 picks. Wow. Justin Fields, 40 touchdown passes, one. Count them one interception. Yeah, that's I mean, pretty good quarterback play all the way around. I mean, wow. I mean, it's the the playoff has just wonderful potential this year. It really does. Yeah, what do you, Burrow? I think is a favorite for the Heisman. Oh, yeah, he's, so he's, I think he's going to win, win a it. landslide. Yeah, yeah, yeah he should. Um, all right. Well, let's. We were over in Norfolk uh, yeah. yesterday. Let's talk about the new man in town. That's Ricky Ronnie. He was the offensive coordinator at Penn State. Uh, has been with James Franklin for a number of years. He nice. was with him at uh, Vanderbilt and then followed him to Penn State. Yep. And uh, he arrived yesterday, and um, he's the new head football coach at Old Dominion University and had a press conference yesterday. What were your impressions of Ricky Ronnie? I, I thought he did a great job handling himself. And that, that's hard when, you, when you're a first-time head coach and you're you're doing the the unveiling i don't know because i don't cover penn state i don't have a feel for how much media the coordinators and the assistant coaches do for example at virginia tech bud foster does media after every game and he does a midweek media so he's very comfortable Mm -hmm. but yet at other schools Head coaches don't want their coordinators or assistants out there. And I think that is the more way James the, Franklin I think runs that, his that, show. That is more the case, yes, because I have asked to speak to Penn State assistant coaches before during the Franklin era, and I've been very politely told mm-hmm. not, not going to happen. So I thought, I thought Ronnie looked comfortable in his own skin. I thought he looked confident. I, I was because I'm a I'm a sap at heart. I like that he teared up. It was great. Yeah. When, when, when he when he turned and, and looked at his wife Jennifer and, and their two cute boys, so I thought that was touching. But yet there was a you know he, he's a big dude. Right? Yeah, he played what, quarterback what, at Cornell. Yeah. What, what do you think? Six. He got to be I'll, six five. I bet he right? was six four, six five at least. Yeah, yeah he's he, a big dude. I mean, when he walks in the room, and he's a, not a thin guy. He, th- he's no, a bulky guy. Yeah, but yeah. you know, but it's not like he's offensive lineman. Absolutely thing. not. No. He, he he looks like he can no, he still commands play. a room when he stands up he, there. He really does. But then when he when he sat down with with a with Ed Miller and me and Harry Minium and a, and a couple other reporters afterward. He was engaging. I thought he was thoughtful. I thought he was very confident. Uh, he's he's got a resume, credentials. I mean, he worked for James Franklin, who most people consider one of the one of the better coaches in the country. Prior to that, he and Franklin both worked under Bill Snyder, who's a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. It, what Bill Snyder did at Kansas State in Manhattan, right. Kansas, turning that place into 
you know, a very relevant program nationally is nothing short of miraculous. So he, he's clearly been around successful, qualified, accomplished people. That has to wear off, you know, at least a, a little bit. And while it, it was funny, we were, we were talking to one of our coworkers before we started recording, and she's a Penn State fan, and she made the remark, there's a lot of people in Happy Valley who are happy to see Ricky Ronnie go. But, you know, hey, Penn State's the number 22 ranked offense in the country this year, averaging like 34 points a game. That's probably not good enough for the folks at Penn State. Absolutely, And in, in this day and age, you know, 30 years ago, offensive coordinators, they weren't anonymous, but they were pretty obscure. But now they are. They're not as front and center as the head coach, but they are darn near, Mm -hmm. whether the head coach makes them available or not. They are the punching bags on Twitter and message boards. Fans don't like a call, red zone, whatever. They're going to hear about it. And we talked to Ronnie about that yesterday. And it seems to me that he's kind of developed the thick skin that, that you need and that he will need as the head coach at Old Dominion because knuckleheads like me and knuckleheads who sit in the fa- in the stands, they're going to take shots at him. That's just part of the that's part of the job. Mm-hmm. And coaches are second guess. That's part of the fun of sports. We don't we don't mean it personally. It's just how how it works. Right. And he said. He's very proud of what they accomplished at Penn State simply because of their record. And, hey, they just went 10-2. and two. They lost to Minnesota. They lost to Ohio State. They're going to the Cotton Bowl to play Memphis. He will not, by the way, right. be working that game. It, one of the best anecdotes he, he told, and I know Ed Miller mentioned it in his story today, is it was 11.30 Monday morning, and Ronnie's driving – from State College to New York to see a recruit. And that's when Wood Seelig and Bruce Stewart, numbers one and two in, in the Old Dominion Athletic Department, called with an offer. And Ronnie turned the car around. Number one, he accepted. And number two, On the spot, yeah. at, that sp- at, at that very moment, he considered himself Old Dominion's head coach. He was done with Penn State, and he turned around. Yeah, and one thing he mentioned that I thought was really interesting that uh, one of the first things he mentioned in his press conference yesterday is he wants to refocus uh, the recruitment in the 757, which Bobby Wilder kind of got away from. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong, they're not going to get the four-star and the five-star guys who are going to the SEC or maybe even Virginia, Virginia Tech on occasion. But they've got to get those three-star guys that are going to Marshall and to Charlotte and some of the ECU and some of those other places. So I think that was really interesting that he mentioned that. They absolutely do, and he, and he, he even took it into a, a broader context, the entire Commonwealth. Right. And I, I, I think that's point very well taken. But he, he also mentioned us on the side, given his recruiting ties. He said, we're going to cr- recruit Jersey. He said, I, I recruited North Jersey for Penn State, and there are players there. He said, I've already been in touch with some mm. who, who are interested. So I'll be, I'll be very curious to see how that particular play works. And, you know, Jamie, when Bobby Wilder first got here and in the early stages of his tenure, 
Old Dominion took a lot of local kids, and a lot of them didn't pan out. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them didn't pan out because of behavioral issues. And I think in some ways, Bobby and his staff just kind of got a little skittish mm-hmm. about things and thought, you know, well, what are we doing wrong here? And they just became a little bit more selective, and, and maybe it hurt them. Yeah, I think it did, and I think that feeling maybe went both ways from talking to some high school coaches that Bobby maybe didn't look quite as much locally, and mm-hmm. the coaches weren't as, uh, you know, apt to reach out to him about some of their players maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see how Ricky Ronnie does uh, recruiting in the state and locally. And, you know, um, it'll be interesting also to see how he fills out his coaching staff. Very interesting. Uh, he did uh, announce uh, one of his uh, – uh, cohorts at Penn State, Mark Dupuis, was uh, announced last night on Twitter that he oh. was going to uh, join okay. uh, Ricky Ronnie. That was late last night. He did not say what role he was going to play, okay. just that he was happy to be joining uh, ODU uh, What football. role did he play at Penn State? Not, he was an assistant under Franklin, but I don't okay. know exactly his what position. his role was. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, and ODU's got some assistants on the staff who, you know, we don't know. I wouldn't expect too many of them to stick around. Maybe one or two. Yeah. Um, maybe Brian Steinspring, who's mm-hmm. only been on the staff one year, but who obviously knows the region well from recruiting it right. for Virginia Tech. Maybe David Blackwell, the, the first-year defensive coordinator, because especially early to midseason mm-hmm. – the Monarchs' defense acquitted itself quite well. Yeah, I thought that of the staff, I think Steinspring and uh, he are two of the most likely to stay. Because of that defense, which had had so many problems over mm-hmm. the last few seasons, he seemed to do a much better job defensively this year. Um, well, before we go, uh, let's talk about some NFL, uh, yeah. <laughs> an NFL matchup, which really is interesting. I know you know a lot of the guys that are involved in I this thing. I know all of them, as a matter of fact. Yeah, place. so let, let's talk about the Buffalo Bills and the Pittsburgh Steelers on the Sunday. Sunday night, too. Yeah, great prime matchup time. in prime time. And we got the Edmonds brothers. We got Mike Tomlin going Sh- against Sean McDermott. I mean, this is really a great matchup for uh, for the seven five seven. It is, and Virginia. Yeah, I expect NBC to be all over both storylines. You I mean, would think so. Yeah, they're both irresistible. How, how can you not be? And I know our, our our comrade Dave Johnson has a story running in in Friday's newspapers. I I guess it will post online here sometime today mm-hmm. about how Jimmy Laycock, the retired head coach. At William and Mary, who coached both Sean McDermott and Mike Tomlin when they played there, and who hired uh, Mike Tomlin at least briefly. Tomlin co- coached, I think, a season un- under Laycock. But Mike Tomlin and his successor, Mike London, are are both among a large group of Tribe football alums who are headed up to Pittsburgh for for the game Sunday night. Mm-hmm. So. That's really cool. I mean, you think about the Laycock coaching tree. It is so front and center right now because, you know, Tomlin has the Steelers at 8-5 and five and in playoff contention really against all odds. Right. You know, it's been with, with Big Ben being hurt and then Mason Rudolph got dinged. Uh, so, you know, they've been – and, of course, no Antonio Brown. They jettisoned him as well they should have. And then McDermott – has the has the Bills there at, at nine and four? He's the former Panthers 
defensive coordinator, and this is his second season as the Bills head coach, and this is the first time that he and Tomlin have have met as head coaches. So they're both in, both doing great work, and hey, they could even meet in the playoffs depending yeah. on, on yeah. how it how it all turns out. And then you turn it around, and you have the three Edmonds brothers. You've got Tremaine plays for the Bills, Trey and Terrell for the Steelers. I I, I got I wrote that down because I, <laughs> I, I didn't want to mix it up. Tremaine and Terrell played their entire careers at Virginia Tech. Trey played part the early part of his career at Virginia Tech before transferring to Maryland. But according to the NFL and ESPN, this is the first time three brothers will be on the same NFL field since the Rooney brothers in 1927, wow. who each played for the Duluth Eskimos. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I never knew of the Duluth Eskimos. Yeah, yeah, not very but, well known. I mean, how how wild is, is that? And, and let's not forget that the Edmonds' daddy, Farrell Edmonds, mm-hmm. who I'm old enough to remember, he was a heck of a tight end. First of all, at his high school, GW Danville, and then for the University of Maryland, and then for the Miami Dolphins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that should be really interesting to see. I mean, I, I don't recall too many NFL games, especially of this magnitude, you know, that we've had so many players and the coaches going head-to-head. It should be really an interesting matchup on Sunday night. Yeah, can't wait. I will be front and center watching on TV, no question. Yeah, and as you mentioned, uh, our uh, colleague Dave Johnson is working on that story today. Thursday should be online uh, later Thursday. You definitely can see it in the newspaper in the pilot and daily press on friday so well that about does it i think we'll wrap up here we're our time is up thanks for uh joining us everybody and we'll see you next time on teal time yeah if we don't talk to you uh beforehand happy holidays to you and yours thank you